My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. If you've never had COVID-19, obviously, you're one of the lucky ones. If you did have COVID, and it was awful, and you recovered and you're healthy now, guess what? You're still pretty damn lucky. The quality of life that I have now is probably about a two. There are days I feel like a 90-year-old, 90-pound old lady. I've got depression now and anxiety because of all this. You have probably heard the terms long COVID or long haulers by now. Those are people whose symptoms stick around for weeks or more likely months, and in some cases, a year or longer. How long will those symptoms stick around? We actually don't really know. Will those symptoms ever go away? We don't know that either. So what do long haulers need in terms of care and therapy and rehab in order to get their lives back. We are only just starting to learn that, there aren't a lot of resources, and there is a long way to go. If you are a heart attack survivor, for instance, there are programs to help you rehab your cardio health. We have programs to recover from a massive knee injury, or cancer, or a stroke, or whatever, any life-changing medical event. We can provide the care for those things because we know a lot about their typical recovery process. With COVID, we're just flying blind. Not only do we not know what we don't know, it's going to take a heavy investment to find out and then to provide the resources to actually rehab the thousands of Canadians who are currently suffering from long COVID. So should we maybe get started because it's been almost a year now for many of these folks and they are still waiting to feel healthy again. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Cynthia Mulligan is a reporter with City News. She covers the provincial government in Ontario, but she's also, obviously, been covering COVID a lot the past year, including keeping up a dialogue with some long haulers. Hello, Cynthia. Hello, Jordan. So here's a question. Um, this is a term that I've been hearing about uh, and a lot of people have been hearing about for almost a year now. Do we have an actual medical definition for COVID long haulers or is it still kind of a nebulous thing? It's still very nebulous. In fact, even though it's been a year, Doctors point out it's only been a year when it comes to fully understanding COVID, and they think that it's going to be years to come. So we know that some people are impacted long after they are considered recovered from COVID. They are called long haulers. There's a new term emerging as well that's just long COVID. And the number of people that are estimated to suffer months later, in many cases a year later, from the debilitating life-altering side effects, it's staggering. 
In Canada, one researcher that I was talking to believes that it's 10 to 20 percent of all people who have had COVID. And this is whether they were had mild symptoms and never hospitalized or were in ICU. And if you do the numbers, Jordan, it's it's actually staggering. That means in Ontario alone, there would be 35 to 65,000 people who are considered recovered, but are still very much suffering from, from COVID. How widely um, do the symptoms associated with long-haul COVID range? You know, I think... Uh, We've heard a ton about, you know, the acute symptoms um, and what to watch for and when to get tested. But when you speak to people who have been dealing with this for months, like what are they actually dealing with? So it really varies from person to person. And even they will say it varies from day to day. So many complain of brain fog, debilitating brain fog, where... They can't remember anything. They can barely string a sentence together. Others talk about lack of taste or night jolts where they they wake up with these severe jolts or or almost like a Parkinson's-like tremors. Others complain of crushing fatigue, like they can't walk to a store. And, you know, a year ago they were they were running 10K a day and now they can't make it around the block. They have to stop. It's really all over the map. Um, one young man described it as being somebody standing on your chest all day long and you, you can't take a breath. From the people that I've been speaking to, they have had a year of isolation and feeling trapped in their bodies. And and these were healthy, previously healthy people. Now, a year later, some of them are saying they're starting to feel a little bit better, but it's so painfully slow. So one woman, Lorraine Graves, told me with a big smile on her face, she was able to taste something sweet for the first time in a year. Wow. I know, it's shocking. Another sign of her progress, and this actually made me so sad, she said, well... Now I can sit up in bed and I'm not on oxygen anymore. That's her progress a year later. And so these aren't people who um, necessarily had like really awful cases of COVID. And they're also not people who have had symptoms sticking around for, you know, two or three weeks or a month afterwards. You feel kind of crappy. These are people who are still dealing with it like a year later. Exactly. And what's interesting is, so these were the early victims of COVID. They came down with it, you know, in March when there there was such mass panic and nobody really knew what to do. Many of these people have not been formally tested and tested positive for COVID because back in the early days in March, they weren't testing people unless they had a travel history. None of these people did, so they were basically sent home from the hospital. None of them were actually in ICU or hospitalized for a great period of time, so they're not the most severe cases. So there's the doctors have to still figure out how to unlock the mystery of COVID. It's no longer just a virus that we believed only initially attacked the lungs. It can ta- attack so many parts of the body. For example, the the kidneys, the liver, the heart, the brain, the nervous system, they think that basically the immune system is, is, is overdoing it and almost attacking their own bodies, but they don't know why and they don't know who will get attacked, who will have this happen to. 
the age or, or what triggers it, or even worse, how to make it better, how to help them recover. We are hearing anecdotally, and, and so many studies will be needed to be done on this, Jordan, but we're hearing that more women are suffering from the long haul syndrome than men. But doctors are saying, well, maybe it's because women are more in tune with their bodies and more likely to speak out than men who are more reluctant, perhaps, to, to raise this issue. We're also hearing that some people who are COVID long haulers who get a vaccine are feeling better. So, so would that help reset the system? We don't know. And Dr. Anthony Fauci was talking about that last week as well in the U.S. So a lot more studies need to be done on this to see if that's, that's really the case or if it's just anecdotal or if they were on their way to recovery anyways. I'm going to ask you in a minute about you know, what kind of help is available to these folks. But first, maybe um, describe their journeys and and what they've done. So, you know, you have COVID and the symptoms don't go away. So what do you do when they don't go away? What did these people do? Well, they've been, they've been going from doctor to doctor to doctor. Sometimes they're not even taken seriously. A common theme is that many doctors are telling these people it's in their heads. And they're saying, are you kidding me? We're in the middle of a pandemic. This is not in my head. I was sick and I'm still sick. So one gentleman, Alex Wilson, young man, two little boys. He was a carpenter. He was fit. He showed me pictures of him sailing and doing all this physical activity. And it's been a year and he still can barely move. He only survives on pain meds every day. And it's taken a massive emotional mental health toll on him. He's now suffering from depression and anxiety. He has gone to so many doctors and had so many tests, which all come back negative. Nobody can explain to him what is wrong with him. And there's this incredible fear that they all live with that they might have a good day and then they'll go for a walk and then it causes a relapse. Oh man. Once they start feeling better, they're living with this fear that they're not really better. And in many cases it happens. Like Lorraine Graves was telling me, she lives in British Columbia. We did a Zoom call and she said, you know, I know that if I can gear myself up to do a Zoom call with you, say we talk for half an hour, 45 minutes. If I did a second Zoom call the same day, she says she wouldn't be able to get out of bed the following day. Wow. So they have to pace themselves so very carefully. And nothing, nothing is certain anymore in their lives. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn. And I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You know, I mentioned in the intro um, that we have developed, like, rehab and therapy and programs for people who recover from other life-changing medical events, whether that's, like, knee surgery or heart attacks or whatever— are we moving to develop um, programs or, or therapy for COVID victims, long-haul COVID victims? So if you compare Canada to the UK, 
The UK in November started setting up rehab clinics across the country. I believe they have around 81 right now. Canada has a handful, let's say six or eight. There aren't that many. And what COVID long haulers are saying is that they're geared more on research than they are on actual rehab. They are begging for rehab. Lorraine Graves, for example, can't get rehab for her respiratory issues. And, and they say that they're just not going to get better without it. In the UK, they have a website for long haulers to show them what the different symptoms are, the ongoing symptoms, and, and, and how to help them. We don't have anything like that in Canada. What kind of therapy do they do at those clinics in the UK? It's a variety of things because everybody needs something different. Like Lorraine Graves, she needs respiratory therapy desperately. She can't find it anywhere. Now, we do know that the Canadian Institute of Health Research has announced that they're going to do some research into how to predict who will get long haul, who, how to prevent it, and how to treat it. But that could take months and months to find mm. anything of substance for these people. And their huge fear, Jordan, is that they are going to be forgotten, that once everybody is vaccinated, everybody's just going to move on. And they'll still be dealing with this long-term, life-altering impact. As Lorraine said, I, I asked her, are you, are you hopeful that you'll get your life back? And she said, I try not to think about it because I'll just cry. Have you asked anybody in government? I know you cover the Ontario government, but has anybody um, asked the federal government or the British Columbia government about what we're going to do here? That's my next step in this ongoing sort of look at long haul, Jordan, to talk to the feds about this. The Ontario government doesn't even track how many long haulers there are. There's no data. They're not even tracking it. How do you help this massive group of people if you're not even keeping track of them? Well, and we don't, as you mentioned off the top, um, there's no medical definition for who would even qualify if you were going to track it, right? Exactly. Now, we do know from SARS that there was a long-lasting impact from SARS. The people who got it, it they tracked them for uh, several years, and many did not fully recover, and many suffered what, what they said was PTSD, and that there were severe uh, mental health implications from it. I suspect we are going to see, years later, the same thing with COVID long haulers. And I think that they need to be recognized, and I think there needs to be a concerted effort to help them. I think, you know, in the ongoing panic of COVID, and now we're in the third wave, what officials are calling the third wave, you know, the, the emphasis has been on uh, trying to get it under control, trying to prevent it, um, dealing with the hospital, you know, capacity issues and getting people vaccinated. I don't think there's been a lot of thought into how we're going to help the people who are still suffering. Well, in the absence of that, um, how can people in the community or, or our neighbors help people who are struggling with this? Because to your point, if the numbers suggest it's going to be tens of thousands of people in each province, like we are going to know these people. They're not going to be that invisible because there's too many of them. Well, I think we have to take them seriously. I think we have to offer them, you know, uh, mental support. Uh, and help, you know, if it's getting groceries once a week for your neighbor who has this. But I think they want to be believed. They want to be taken seriously. And they feel that a lot of people 
don't understand what they're going through and they desperately need that. that that's one first step. But they want people to speak out on their behalf. Otherwise, they feel that they're not going to get anywhere at all. And they feel they need centers where there are multiple doctors that, that uh, have different specialties so that you have somebody, if, it, if, it's, if it's your liver being impacted or, or your, your, the brain fog or you know, whether it's your kidneys or the tremors, that you have a different specialist that, that understands each of these parts of your body and what the best treatment options would be. And don't forget, you know, a lot of people don't have coverage for rehab, or if they do, right. it's going to run out very, very quickly. So they need financial assistance as well. Many of them have lost their businesses. They've lost their livelihoods. Uh, Susie Golding was a florist and she cannot work, has not been able to work for a year. And she she's not making any money. Alex Wilson as well. He said he will never recover financially uh, as a carpenter from all the lost work. And he doesn't know when he's going to be able to work again. But they can't get work and they're not getting financial assistance. And the scary part, Jordan, is doctors are saying younger and younger people are now getting COVID in the third wave mm -hmm. and they're getting sicker because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's more deadly or causing way more side effects. So even if you don't have the COVID long haul symptoms, the scarring of the lungs could impact people for the rest of their lives. So this isn't over. And we have to understand that the third wave is hitting younger people who will have a lot longer to live like this. We've been talking about therapy so far mostly uh, in the physical sense. You've also mentioned mental health and PTSD. And what kind of, you know, actual therapy uh, will these folks need? And, and is there a branch of therapy that deals with this kind of thing? Like, it's not really a chronic illness because we don't know how long it'll last, but it might be. Like, it's just so confusing. It's really confusing and there's no answer yet to that, Jordan. There just isn't. Um, there's, there's really nothing that has been created to help them physically and or mentally. There's nothing right now for them. In all the people that you've followed since this began, um, you began talking to them a year ago. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched you kind of keep up with them uh, month after month. You mentioned a couple of people have improved. Has anyone gotten better, like fully better, like actually gone and gotten their life back to the point where you're like, okay, well, I don't need you to be part of this project anymore. Thank God, you know? No, not, that, not out of the ones that I have been speaking to over the past year. Nobody has said Cynthia, I am 100% better. They're all still struggling. Now, some are struggling way more than others, but they are all still struggling. Is there any, um, and I'm not asking you to, to be a medical professional here, just as somebody who's talked to a bunch of them, like, is there any patterns that you see in terms of people getting better? Like, do you see most of them making at least small incremental improvements, or is it just completely random? Every single one has said they are getting better, that they are seeing improvement. Okay. But that it's still a very long way out to feel like they might possibly be able to say they are fully cured. And they resent the term that governments use as, as recovered because they said, we're not recovered. Like, please don't consider us cured. Do you think um, two years four years from now, like this will be a new branch of medicine because it doesn't seem to match 
anything that we're familiar with. It doesn't. I mean, SARS was was impacted f- way fewer people. We didn't have the thousands and thousands of people impacted. So I do think that something needs to be done for these people because there are so many of them. And and we can't we can't forget about them. We can't just leave them behind. This is um now that we mention it, especially with vaccines rolling out, it kind of reminds me of the people uh, of my parents' generation who who spent the rest of their life with the after effects of polio before vaccines rolled out, right? Like a, a generation with with a significant percentage of people, uh, if not disabled, then at least impacted for life. Absolutely. And in fact, Lorraine Graves mentioned polio as well. She made that uh, connection too. Cynthia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today and uh, keep tabs on those folks and, and let us know because I know there's probably a whole whack of people listening to this right now who really could use some good news about things actually getting better. I think a lot of people, let's say all of us need some good news <laughs> these days. But yes, I will keep track and I will keep checking in with them. And one day I hope to be able to do a podcast with you on this and say, they're so much better, or at least they're getting the help that they need. Cynthia Mulligan of City News. That was The Big Story. For more from us, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. If you want to search Cynthia's name on there, you will find a heck of a lot of other episodes, all of them great. You can also talk to us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN or via email the Big Story Podcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And we're in your podcast player, yes, the one you're using right now, unless you're on our website, in which case, great for you, but also you need to find a podcast player so you can follow or subscribe or rate us or leave us a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now.